One touch when you're this hungry, when you're this thirsty, one touch changes your life forever. Love has conquered every fear, broke down each wall. There are so many notches in that key to break through. I've made duplicates of the key, and I will give them to anyone who will take one. Such as I have, give I thee the key to breakthrough. I'm going to focus in on this. I'm going to fast for this. I'm going to pray for this. I'm going to worship for this. I'm going to be in the house of God every night for this. I'm going to press in. I'm going to hunger. I'm going to thirst. I'm going to get desperate. I'm going to get in every line. I'm going to put my feet on the blue line for this one day. More of you. Less of me until it's all of you and none of me. Hello and welcome once again to Keys to Breakthrough. We have been on a glorious subject that I enjoy so much. And I hope that you were watching last week. If you didn't, please go back and watch because I got hit with the power of the Holy Ghost when I was trying to talk about the power of the Holy Ghost. And we want to continue with this Holy Ghost download part of our series. And finally today, I want to get into 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that contrasts natural wisdom with supernatural wisdom, natural ability with supernatural ability, living on this side uh, or living on the Holy Ghost side of things. So beginning with 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. As for myself, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony and evidence or a mystery and secret of God, concerning what he has done through Christ for the salvation of men in lofty words of eloquence or human philosophy and wisdom. Obviously, I'm reading out of the Amplified because it really makes things louder here, and we need that to be the case in 1 Corinthians 2. So from the foundation of the world, this was a mystery. The lamb was already sacrificed from before the foundation of the world. Nobody's human brain can grab a hold of that. God set aside wisdom that could be and would be only accessed by us, the church, the people that possess the Holy Ghost. In this final hour, the whole thing was God setting up this great trap for the devil. You know, when you watch some mystery movie on Netflix or whatever, and you find out, wow, you're like, how is this going to turn out? And how does this clue lead to this? And then when you see in the end, oh, my goodness, they knew what they were doing. They were laying a whole trap for the perpetrator, for the criminal, whoever it was. God did that for the worst criminal that there ever was, the devil. And he said the devil can't get it. His fallen angels can't get it. The natural mind of man cannot get it. This glorious mystery will only be known by the church, and the church will be used in this final hour to uh, bring about the fulfillment of all of this. So the whole thing was God setting a trap for the devil. So in verse 2, for I resolved to know nothing, to be acquainted with nothing, to make a display of the knowledge of nothing, and to be conscious of nothing among you except Jesus Christ the Messiah and him crucified. I was in or I passed into a state of weakness and fear or dread and great trembling. 
after I had come among you. And my language and my message were not set forth in persuasive, enticing, and plausible words of wisdom. But they, well, who's the they? We aren't talking about people here. They, the words that he had just said that weren't set forth in persuasive, enticing, and plausible words of wisdom. But those words were in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. A proof by the spirit and power of God operating on me and stirring in the minds of my hearers the most holy emotions and thus persuading them. Wow, there is so much here. He says, I don't know a whole lot about other things in this world, but I made it my purpose to know nothing except the power of the cross and the resurrection, except the power of our God that the enemy thought he crucified the Lord of glory. But instead, again, he was setting a trap for the enemy. I know now how on the third day the father raised him from the dead where he lives forever as king of kings and lord of lords and with that we're seated with him in heavenly places and the devil is under our feet and with that we inherit everything he inherited we have his righteousness we have uh two-thirds of the innumerable angels on our side we have the the weapons of our warfare which are not carnal but they are mighty through the pulling down of strongholds we have his word his promises his covenant we have all of that at our disposal. And he said, that's all I'm diving into. That's all I know, the power of the Holy Ghost. And he says, you know, when I had to come preach to you people, he said, I kind of came in some fear and dread. You know what? It doesn't matter how many years I have preached. Many of those years, two meetings a day. I approach the pulpit in every church in somewhat of trepidation and fear and not because I'm not confident in my call. I'm very confident in that. I know I will be anointed. I know the people will be blessed. But this holy reverential fear of, I don't take this for granted. This is great responsibility to break the bread of life to these people. And to sense exactly what this group needs this day. And to be able to be a conduit not only of the word going forth, but of the power and proof of the Holy Ghost confirming that word and knowing how to be a good Holy Ghost conductor and letting him do exactly what he wants to do. And I, I don't ever get flippant about it. Like, oh, well, we've had great meetings day and night now for a year. So this will be no different. Whatever. Every time I'm like, oh, God, do I have the right message? Oh, God, what do you want me to do? Oh, God, help me to be sensitive to you. Oh, God, help me to run with you or stop with you. And, and I consider it such an honor to be a spokesman for the Lord. And so I, I know what Paul's talking about. And he said, but I knew I couldn't just come in normal man's language. Do you realize who's saying this? The Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He says that himself. He was trained to know and recite the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, by the time he was 12 years old. He had great oratory and argumentative ability, like a good trial lawyer. He could argue somebody into the corner where they couldn't get out. That's why he got so high up in the uh, hierarchy of persecuting the church. He was an orator. This is why we got to stop this, these dangerous heretics. And, and he, he's passionate about what he does. So he was gifted. And he could, in his natural giftings and natural ability, put anybody in a corner where they're like, 
uh, I, I don't know how to come back to that. You're too gifted in what you say and how you argue. But he said, I laid all that ability aside when I came to you. My message, my language, they weren't in these great lofty words, even though I know them, even though I can do that. I laid that aside and I only came to you saying, Lord, let my words be in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Now, and then we're going to talk about how he ends stirring in the minds of my hearers the most holy emotions and persuading them. But before we get to that, I want you to see this. I was in a church, um, I'm not even going to say where, many years ago, like after revival in my life started just really uh, breaking forth. So I believe this was probably in 1993. I was in this large church for me at that time, you know, 500 people a night. And I think the next time I went back 800 people a, a night. But by the time we had a great revival the first time, and then I think they asked me back two more times after that. And the last time I had to leave because they just got flaky and I left in the middle of it. But I could see each time they were getting a little more out there. They didn't just stick to some of us that have been touched in revival, like Pastor Rodney or myself, they started gravitating towards any, quote, supernatural thing they heard was going on anywhere in the earth. And you can't just mix everything when it gets outside of the word of God. But anyway, I was trying to be understanding. I was trying to work with them until the day came. I couldn't anymore. I love the people. And for the sake of relationship, I was trying to go the extra mile. But I remember, I think it was the second time I went back that I would come out into the meeting, I mean, before worship even starts, and people are laying all over the floor. Now, many times they were laying on the floor in the night meeting because they're still on the floor from my morning meeting, and that's awesome. But I could tell some of these were like, even in the morning meetings, they're already in the floor before I come out there. So I'm like, what's going on? And these guys are getting real flippant with their revival terms. They, had, they said they made a whole book up of their own revival terms. They go, we call this poaching. I said, what do you mean by poaching? They said, you know, hunting out of season. Really, you know, the people shouldn't be prayed for until you're done with the message and you pray for them. But we did it out of season. We decided to get them before you even get out here. And they're on the floor. And I mean, they have ridiculous terms. One of them wrote a book called Smoking in Bed. And he said, and he laughed about it. And he said, oh, I'm telling my testimony in there about how when I was touching the fire, I was shaking and jerking in bed all night. My wife couldn't go to sleep. And and I mean, I'm just not even going to go there, except when they said that they already got the people on the floor. I said, what am I supposed to do now? And they said, well, we kind of thought to tell you that those days of preaching are behind you. You know, we listened to your preaching the first time you came in. It was good, but we're there now. We all know how to get on the floor and you need to be like Paul and quit preaching and teaching. And he says he didn't come with words anymore. He came in the power of the Holy Ghost. And I said, no, you know what? You might be able to twist some other scriptures and I wouldn't catch it right away. But since this is a, a passage that I read often in my meetings, um, and I have a lot of it memorized, you are misquoting that. He didn't say, I don't have words anymore. And so I just come in the power of the Holy Ghost. He said, my words are no longer a natural ability, but they, my words, 
are now in the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. So the word is always going to be first. That is not to say that there may not be a meeting, because I've had several of them, where the Holy Ghost smacks the people so at the beginning, because they're ready. They're, they're, they're just drawing in the anointing. Remember how it says, while Paul was yet speaking, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. Um, or while Peter was yet speaking, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. He said, Peter, I don't care if you fasted for this message, got three points, and you don't want me to show up till you're done or not. But even on the first point, the people were ready, ripe, they got it. I'm moving now. I'm falling on my people now. And when the Holy Ghost is preaching over the top of you, in other words, the response of the people, whether I've had them cry out, I got to run to the altar now before I give an altar call. I've had demons start crying out and have to be cast out before the end of the service or people just being so touched or healed. And it's not, you don't say, I'm not finished with the message yet. There is a time for the Holy Ghost to show up and this is way too early. Of course not. So there might be times he falls and you don't get much preaching in, but you always study to show yourself approved, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You prepare, you at least start because the Holy Ghost has to have something to work with. And he confirms his word, not somebody's thoughts, not somebody's opinions, as in, in the case of these people I'm talking about, their opinion was, we don't want preaching anymore. In fact, they went so far to, as to say, you and Rodney, they didn't even say Pastor Rodney, so that tells me the lack of respect already. You and Rodney are getting too religious. I thought, oh my goodness, call me what you want. But when you call the man that spearheaded revival all over this country and the world too religious, the man who shoots religious cows and teaches people how to flow and quit being religious. You're calling him religious because he still preaches the word. That is scary. And I knew where they were headed. In fact, I came out in another meeting and they said, instead of you preaching today, we're going to show this was back when the Toronto move was going on. We're going to show a video where this lady is prophesying and shaking her head. You just see her hair flying instead of you preaching. I thought, what? And I didn't go back for years. And then they asked me to go back. They said, for the sake of relationship, you were the first lady bringing revival in here. And now we're inviting some people from Toronto, some people from Europe. But we want you to be represented too, because this is maybe the last meeting. We'll all come together and we've got a surprise, blah, blah, blah. So I thought for the sake of relationship, I'm only supposed to speak, I think, once or twice. All right. But when I got there, what I saw made me want to vomit how far they had come from revival. Some lady got up and sounded like she was having a mixture of giving birth to a baby and an appendicitis attack all at the same time. She stood up and just went, Ugh! and then she said, where's my warriors in the audience? And they start calling back to her. And then I hear all these animal sounds. I should have just walked out then. But I waited till the end of the meeting. And then they said, everybody who spoke, we want you all to lay hands on people. And um, sound person, are we okay down there? Yeah. Continue. Okay. Don't mind that. Maybe that was one of those warriors calling out. I don't know. But <laughs> anyway, they said, we want you all to lay hands on people. And all of a sudden, I looked at my assistant. Katie was gone. I thought, what happened to Katie? 
she told me later that that goofy lady got a hold of her and said, you're coming with me. I'm going to mentor you. And she said in a spooky voice, she started saying, deposit the anointing into the elbows here, deposit it in. And she thought, Debbie, where are you? Meanwhile, I was having my own fun. I'm going down the line. And before my hand even came on a lady, she went cock-a-doodle-doo, ruff, ruff, meow, meow, hee-haw, hee-haw. And my hand came down so fast. And she said, I have the barnyard anointing. And I said, you know what? I don't doubt that for a moment. But that tells me I need to be out of the barnyard and out of the zoo. And I went and found Katie and just left and went to my hotel. The pastors called me later and said, we understand you were offended when you left. I said, offended isn't the word. Grieved is the word. You guys have departed from the word and anything that we find in the word. And you have gone after the supernatural uh, or you've gone after the spectacular at the sake of the true supernatural. And I can't be a part of it anymore. And I just pulled myself out. Now, I, I said all that for a reason. Yes, we're talking about the move of the Holy Ghost that transcends words and goes far beyond. The brain can't comprehend it. All of that. At the same time, the Holy Ghost will only move upon a biblical foundation and stuff that is found in the Word of God, not our own ideas. And so I wanted you to understand that he moves upon the preaching of the Word. And then it says, uh, uh, the proof by the spirit and power of God operating on me. How many of you ever heard my pastor, Pastor Rodney, say, this is the great surgeon's operating table. No one disturbed them. Some surgeries take longer than others. You know, a tonsillectomy or an appendectomy may only take a half hour or so. But brain surgery and heart surgery even in the natural, takes a lot longer. And most of the time, God's doing brain surgery and heart surgery at the same time on people. And so it's important that we realize we're on God's operating table. It's not a playtime. It's not a time for people to walk up beside you and or an usher to be saying behind you, hey, we going fishing Saturday, Jim? No, it's a holy time. I don't care if the person is laughing, crying in other tongues. They are in the great surgeon's operating table stirring in the minds of my hearers the most holy emotions and thus persuading them. Why do you think, whether it's Billy Graham or many mass crusade evangelists, would have this song playing at the end while people are, while they're giving the call and people are coming to the altar just as I am and people are weeping? You know, it's funny how people have a fit about joy in our meetings. But they don't have a fit with people crying in meetings. Is one emotion holier than another? Did God say tears? They are the emotion of heaven, but not joy. No, as a matter of fact, it says God sits in the heavens and he laughs. It also says that he's going to say to us when we go to heaven with joy, enter thou in to, to this salvation uh, eternal plan. So why people have decided it's because they get religious. Our church only cried at the end, so that's all we can ever do. And tell me this, people who say we manipulate maybe to get the people to laugh or whatever. What do you think it is when the preacher says, I want you to sing this song now? Instead of singing um, like we may do in some of our meetings, you know, they were rocking and reeling. 
on the streets of Jerusalem. You know, the song, this is that spoken by the prophet Joel that goes on to talk about how they were baptized in the Holy Ghost and how they got drunk in the spirit. See, you're singing those songs that manipulates the people. Well, what is just as I am without one plea? You know, there is nothing wrong with singing songs or preaching messages. Paul said it here that actually I'm trying on purpose to stir in the minds of my hearers the most holy emotions. We are made as a three-part being, folks, spirit, soul, and body. So why would God leave out a third of our makeup, our emotions, why do you think even made our emotions? Do you think it's only for when your first child is born to shout or I have a son or daughter, whatever the case may be. But then when it comes to God, who is so much bigger than anything on this earth, I have no emotion. That's only for my wedding day. It's only when a child is born, but nothing when it comes to God. Are you kidding me? Or how about this? The people that show emotion when their favorite quarterback releases that pigskin, that football, and their favorite receiver catches it. And they knock over the dinner table and they jump up. Yes, yes. And then it comes to the things of God. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. What? That doesn't even make sense. God made our emotions to enjoy both natural things and supernatural things. In fact, did you realize that things on this earth and the natural are just copying supernatural things? So let me give you an example. If you are happy in the natural realm, really happy, what do you usually end up doing? Laughing. If you are happy in the supernatural realm, what do you end up doing? Laughing. When you're really touched in the natural realm, what, uh, what do those emotions do sometimes? You have tears, you cry. When you get really touched in the supernatural realm, what happens? You cry. And if, if enough fire goes through you in the natural realm or enough electricity, you're going to shake and shout. If enough fire and, and uh, God's holy anointing goes through you in the supernatural realm, you're going to shake and shout. If enough fire gets in your feet for whatever reason in the natural realm, you'll start running. If enough fire gets into your feet in the supernatural realm, you'll start running. But I don't know about you. I have no friends in the natural realm, or have I ever done this myself in the natural realm, that when I get touched by anything, I start crowing like a rooster, barking like a dog, or hee-hawing like a, like a donkey. In fact, if you have friends like that, mm, I suggest you might want to think about getting some new ones. So why people make these things up and try to apply them spiritually is beyond me. But our emotions were given to us to enjoy things on earth and to enjoy God, to enjoy his presence, to enjoy worshiping him, to enjoy having his hand come upon us. And, it's, and we don't suddenly shut off our emotions at that moment. The God who made everything in this universe by the spoken word, we put our hands up in that kind of presence when his glory and his power and his holiness is hovering. And we put these up like antennas, fill me. And then we think it's going to be like this. Okay, I guess I must have got filled. Didn't feel anything. Don't, don't respond anyway. I guess I'm filled. Are you kidding me? 
I tell people, no, it doesn't surprise me that people shake or cry or laugh or fall out of their seats. The only thing that ever surprises me is that our whole heads don't blow off. When that holy, magnificent God does what he does. So our emotions are made to enjoy God's realm as well as the natural realm. And then going on reading, timekeeper, can you tell me where we're at? Okay. Verse five, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men or human philosophy, but in the power of God. Your faith isn't supposed to be in the natural realm, but in God's power, in his realm. Yet when we are among the full-grown, spiritually mature Christians who are ripe in understanding, we do impart a higher wisdom, the knowledge of the divine plan previously hidden. But it is indeed not a wisdom of this present age or of this world, nor of the leaders and rulers of this age, who are being brought to nothing and are doomed to pass away. But rather what we are setting forth is a wisdom of God once hidden from the human understanding, once before he decided to reveal himself, but now revealed to us by God, that wisdom which God devised and decreed before the ages for our glorification to lift us into the glory of his presence. Wow, that's quite a mouthful. God is no longer into the age of mystery. He is into the time of revelation, but only people who have the Holy Ghost on the inside of them can tap into that revelation. That's why you see unsaved people saying, the Bible doesn't make sense to me. I tried reading it once. I don't understand any of it. You will not understand it unless you are born again, because then you have a new nature and a new heart and new wisdom and a new spirit and new insight and new light. To be able to see, you can't read something that the author, you don't know the author. You don't even know how he thinks. You don't even know anything about him and try to understand what he puts in his book. Verse eight, none of the rulers of this age or world perceived and recognized and understood this. For if they had, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. We're talking about the devil, the God of this age and of this earth of this he's in this atmosphere of this of this earth and folks if you don't make jesus lord of your life it doesn't take long to find out who's running this place look at our insane government and all the leaders of this world right now they are subjecting themselves to this ruler in this outer atmosphere here but here the devil who thinks he's so smart thought he was putting away the problem when he said we finally he slipped through our hands through the crowd, when we thought we'd kill him, he slipped. He went over the hill. We kept losing him, but now he's hanging on the cross. Look at that. We got him this time, boys. And now the demons in hell are beginning to throw a party, but they didn't know they were multiplying their problem, not doing away with it, because this whole setup of God would make us be able to have the same anointing that Jesus had walking this earth and be able to do the same things. In fact, he says, greater things than these will you do than he was able to do. And there was only one of him. And now there are millions of us running around full of the Holy Ghost. And it was the devil's worst nightmare. I'm sure he went, I should have had a V8. I thought I was putting away this problem. And now I have multiplied it. God spent thousands of years of setting up a trap for the devil. And the devil fell in it himself. And we're going to continue this next week in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Be blessed in Jesus' name.
Sees I crave the sea. 